How's it going, man? Good, good Mike. How you doing? Um, I'm good. It's good. Good to talk to you. You just mentioned that um, you're heading to Nashville, right? Yeah. Well, at, at the current state of, well, for the past, I guess, for the past five or six years, I've been by coastal, you know, New, I'm from New York, from Long Island. And so I've been New York in this house where I built a studio on Long Island. And I have had a place in Santa Monica for, uh, you know, all the work that was in L.A. But, you know, both of these locations have pretty much died out. And it's just just it's gotten to the point now where the entire business is pretty much in Nashville, in Nashville, vacationing in Florida. So, yeah, I'm heading down there and we're uh, we're just taking care of some logistical stuff with my girlfriend's family. So we're going to do a month in Jersey where I'm going to have to bring my studio, set it up in a house we have going on there and then hitting Nashville. But I believe that that is where I will stay for a while because, I mean, everything seems to have relocated there, man. Every, everything. It's great hip hop. Oh, Megadeth rehearses there now. <laughs> It's like crazy. And the studios everywhere. So 72 studios per square mile or something like that. I think there are two or three remaining commercial studios left on in Manhattan. And and you know, Los Angeles is I don't use the word literally like a millennial, but literally the walking dead. It's you know when I lived in Hollywood, it was like zombies then pre-COVID. Now they've uh They've legalized the tents in front of the businesses on Holly. Like you can just set up a tent in front of, if you bought a house, you could just put a tent in front. And they've also closed most of the businesses. So it's just the wasteland, man. Yeah. I mean, very tragic. When people think of Nashville, they typically, or even me, I used to think of country. It was country. It was country, triple uh, A, AC, adult contemporary. Actually, uh, the biggest albums on the planet have been coming out of, coming out of Nashville for, for our lifetime. I, the country out country music, Christian music. I'm not, you know, I'm not Christian, but I'll write a Christian song if you know gets me another one of these. But uh, um, country country music's always been topic top selling, and yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not just that anymore it's it's become it's become a place where people can actually you know you can operate with some freedom you don't you know there's the government's not literally like i was walking into a vocal booth and was asked about a mask that actually happened to me think think about i don't know that they expected me to keep it on while i was singing but as i'm walking into a room alone to sit the only purpose of which is to sing into a microphone the assistant had to warn me advise me i needed my mask speaking about masks that um <sighs> you know obviously we were told for a long time that masks stop the spread yeah but now <laughs> what they're saying is that cloth masks do very little yeah stop the spread it turns out i saw uh, article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that had sort of uh, tracked to the timeline. It, there was there were some documents and there was some video footage of Fauci and you know his whole crew saying these things in the beginning. 
you know, in the very beginning. And then there was, you know, there's all kinds of stuff coming out now that we've known, we've known that, for, you know, for a while, I think, right? Just like, you're just not allowed to say it, I guess. Well, well, absolutely. Well, did you see what England just did? I did. Yeah. Starbucks. Yeah. Well, see, in the beginning, you know, cloth masks, which were really used for surgical masks for surgeons, right? They were never meant to prevent viral transmission. So oh. when those cloth masks that you see a surgeon uses, it's really to prevent um, spit and and blood. And, mm -hmm. and, and more large particles. Right. So that's what these large masks were for, are these cloth right. masks. Now, the, the N95 masks were actually, you know, were more built to, to prevent at least, you know, reduce right. the viral load and viral transmission, even those N95 masks. Which one were those? Those are the more, point, the, a little bit more predator looking point? Yes. yes. Yeah, the tiered. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you'd have to imagine that a viral that a, that a that I get that a, it would be smaller than. I mean, these masks you can breathe through them. You can right, you, can, you know. Yeah, yeah. The and the problem with studies is that it's a hairnet. It, yeah, and the, and the problem with studies <laughs> is that you know there, there, there's so much data and 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 information that it, it's just it's just tough to come to a a, a firm conclusion in saying you know. Well, masks work. Um, I mean, listen, I'm not against. Shot. I, I, I'm not against mask wearing, but I think that has to be adjusted over time. Like, okay, we tried yeah. this in the beginning. Okay, um, obviously these are the results. Results just didn't, you know, prove to be that great. L let's make some adjustments. So I don't think everyone during this whole time. <clears throat> Adjusted adjustments were never made. It was like wow. a one size fits all. Yep. And in and in place of adjustment, or I mean, it really honestly, masks, the vaccine, and I'm and I'm be very clear. I'm not anti. I'm according to my mom, I've had them all, but you know, I'm not anti any vaccine. But you know, my mom's had health conditions. My my dad's seventy. I told him like, go. You know, when it came out, go. You should definitely get you guys should do that pre, you know, masks. It should always be a choice. And it wasn't left to being a choice because at the end of the day, you're protecting yourself. So, you know, the, you know, you're good. You have your mask on. You're good. I can I'll worry about myself. It just logic seems to have gone out the window. Nobody looked at the data. Well, we all actually I'm sorry. We did look at the data. And then. In a string of events that's been going on, being told that what's right in front of our face isn't what it is and you know people there's the echo chamber thing where people you know watch their channel they only hear what you know like bill burr says they go to omright.com and they google themselves right so people on fox are going to hear a right-wing perspective cnn they're going to hear lies you know left-wing perspective so nobody's ever getting the alternating but you can only do that for so long at some point somebody once said People are stupid. The person is smart. Uh, you know, when a mass of people get hysterical and, and, and we end up in a situation like we were in. But eventually people are going to start being like, you know what? It can't be good for a five year old not to have developmental cues from an adult because that's, you know, children develop 
taking facial cues from adults. It, it helps them build empathy. It helps them. And I'm not a doctor or, a, you know. Well, did, did, he, did he hear about how the people in Virginia are suing the new governor? Yeah. Because he lifted the mask mandate in schools. So basically the parents are suing him. Parents are school board. Yeah, they're suing him because the government isn't telling them what to do. Yeah, that is terrifying. That that really is. I mean, we really it. And and, let me tell you something, man, that happened fast. (laughs) You know, I I thought we had a I I don't know. I kind of thought it would take a little bit longer before we all fell asleep next to the bean pod. Uh, It happened. And I. I've been standing strong and, and, you know, my parents. Well, well, Mike, imagine this. Look look at the simple scenario. Imagine someone saying to you, I'm going to give you a choice. And instead of you saying, okay, thank you for the choice. You say, you know what? I don't want a choice. I want you to tell me what to do. It's insane. I mean, it's, it's maybe, I, I mean, Nothing surprises me there. I, I would imagine that there are those people out there. I would have guessed it would have been a micro fraction. It's a, it's a large amount. It's, it's, it's hysteria, but because they're only getting panic news, which is just turning out to be, I mean, the president, not to, not to get too political, but the president gave a two hour, I guess, if you want to call it a speech yesterday, and they went through it point by point. And it was, I mean, not one single thing that he said was, was, was correct or was in touch with the actual data that Israel just released. And, you know, they're the most vaccinated place on the planet. And they just actually issued an apology officially to the, child, to the children of their country for closing the schools. Because essentially now the consensus is that Omicron is what is going to make it endemic. You know, I'm a guitar player talking using words like this. Well, well no, well, and what's it's... it? No, totally. And what's a also too? I mean, America used to actually lead in science, and now yeah. we follow others in science. I mean, people don't realize this, but um, when China, you know, when we first discovered, you know, COVID nineteen coming from China. China was the one that invented that. What do you mean? It the, came from a turtle. Right. <laughs> but but it was China okay. that invented those like draconian lockdowns. Of course. And and so we're like, well, you know what? Let's do what China did. Let's lock up the citizens for a year and a half. Let's close parks. We'll call we'll, we'll close mountains. We'll close like you can't even go swimming. I don't in New Jersey, they actually closed the ocean. Yep. They did that in California they closed, too. They closed the Atlantic Ocean and they enforced it. And they enforced it. People on boogie boards, you're but, alone. But 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 what <laughs> what what health strategy? What ha, has that ever made in the history of humankind where they closed the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah. I mean, and that's in line with that's in line with with a lot of I mean, I feel like there's been, I would say 90% of the things that have been that have been invoked by our leaders have been along that line of, uh, you know, I I sit back and I start to wonder if I'm crazy. 
I'm sitting back looking. I'm like, am I am, am I I'm not supposed to be smarter than the politicians. <laughs> They're supposed Mike, to be the, <laughs> there is a little pond where <laughs> I live. There is a little pond that is owned by the park system. It's a small pond and it has a small wooden ramp. Maybe it's like, I don't know, just it only fits one person. And what people do is they stand on this wooden ramp. I only see someone there once in a while and they fish off of it. Oh, that's cool. You know what? During during like the first initial seven months of the pandemic, the park system put a literally, it was about maybe a foot of yellow tape yellow tape over the wooden ramp yeah they love that fucking yellow tape over over the wooden ramp in the middle in the middle of nowhere i actually someone actually (laughs) drove up got in the car put two beams in like the the dirt and a 10 inch yellow ramp i'm sorry 10 inch yellow ribbon saying do not enter yeah i mean when was somebody's I, job. When I saw that, that's when I realized. Jump the shark. <laughs> Guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, with, with, I mean, the emails leaking, the, the, the you, you watch the, I don't know, you do, you know, uh, I could get so frustrated. You watch these guys, literally Gavin Newsom, literally get off stage reprimanding us and then that night is at the french laundry or his children kept going to school you know the governor of california his when the schools closed in california his kids kept going and his winery that he owns stayed open so his his workers that pick his grapes and make his business run were essential workers to keep his vineyard open but uh so it's just the biggest bunch of hypocrisy and it's really really disturbing how willing and blatant it's become and it and the eh, how do i put this the 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 toll they're willing to extract from us like what they're you feel like they they put a bullet in your head if if it got them a couple of extra votes now you know it it really is not about I, I've never felt less represented and that's not even a partisan thing. You know, that, uh, do you feel like you're, do you feel like that they would, your vote, have you given and been given any chance to vote on whether or not you want to disclose your medical record to a hostess at a restaurant so you can sit down and have a meal? Whether you have, you're not supposed to have to disclose your medical. You're not supposed to be forced. I believe the Hippocratic oath, one of the top, one of the top, uh, oath they take in that is that they're not allowed to force medicine upon people I, i'm assuming unless it's court ordered or something like that you, you just this it all yeah, doesn't it, wash it's it feels very authoritarian it, it, it's it scary. does and, and you scary. know mike it's it, this is all especially interesting coming from you i mean you know well, we all I, right and, and you're and i mean and you're i mean you're a great session guitar player um thank you sir you know and let me ask you this. I mean, old answer. Let me ask you this. I mean, when you were discovered by LL Cool J, um, I mean, you literally kind of chased him down in a way and submitted 
him a demo tape. Is that right? Sort of. Yeah. Uh, it was, do you want the little bit longer version or the it was not yeah i'll give you the sort of well i was i was i, I was working at louis van hassett restaurant i'm from manhasset long island it's a town on north shore of long island actually it's part of uh it, it was uh i it was where daisy buchanan lived in in get great gatsby it's it's you know the gold coast wall street type people so i worked in this i was a waiter because you know i wanted to be in the music business when you declare that they hand you an apron for the next 10 years. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, uh, all, anyway, all the bosses, it was a very wealthy town and all the bosses would come home to this little coffee shop and everybody knew everybody. So I ended up waiting first on a gentleman named Neil Gillis, who was really the conduit to all of this for me, who I never, he was the senior vice president of Warner Chapel music, which is the publishing arm of Warner music group. And he, we had discussed going to the same college and we hit it off. He's, you know, 10, 15 years older than me. He was very established, super intelligent, amazing guy. So I still, to this day, I wish I stayed in better contact. He actually shot me an email about a month ago, which made me feel good because he was a good guy. And uh, I feel like I don't ever get to shout him out. So thank you, Neil. So he gave me an internship, long story short. There was a dude that used to come up to the studio named BD, the singer, rapper, and he was looking for a roommate. I was also looking for a roommate and we moved in together, barely saw each other for four months. You know, we were broke kids, whatever. He had one thing to his name. He had a camera, a Canon 5D camera to his name, and he used to cherish this thing. And I would, you know, we, uh, I'd come home from Warner and I'd play my guitar, play the piano, you know, sing, do whatever I did all night. And about four months into it, he came down with this big bag and he, like I said, we really, you know, we really, we were friends, obviously we lived together, but we really didn't see each other. We were both working different schedules and he's like, listen, man, I've been listening to you play for four months. He opened the bag. He's like, I sold my camera. I got you this. He pulled out an old see-through Mac G4 dual core, like the old Mac an Mbox one for anyone that knows what that is. That's like the oldest version of the interface I was describing to you and a Fuji CD. I never listened. I, I have Slash, Ozzy, uh, Zach Wilde, Allison Chains, Tattoos. I'd never listened to hip hop. He hands me Fuji's the score. He goes, make me 10 beats like this and we'll have a record deal in a month. I promise you. And I was like, oh, let me, so I listened to it. And of course it was freaking an amazing album. So one month later we had a demo cd and we loved you know we, we were just banging the songs out i would do the music he would come down saying and my closest friend david holiday who uh is actually he's around here somewhere but i think he's he's i don't know taking advantage of our laundry machine doing laundry but he's uh yeah one of my closest friends for many years worked at that restaurant louise van Asset also and ll cool j lived in manhasset you know so we all grew up around in the same area but he would his family would come in he wouldn't come in a lot that time he came in and without telling me dave one's up and another thing we never let him forget is he is excuse me mr cool j dave at that point is like 32 years old calling a grown man mr cool j <laughs> <laughs> his name's todd ll's name's todd uh he goes by todd but uh a great guy by the way like really salt of the earth really super solid dude but anyway he gives him he's like my 
friend would kill me if he knew I gave this to you, but you know, yada, yada. And Louis had these big pane glass. I'm just going to put this down because this microphone, is that cool? Sure. Um, it's just the John Petrucci, man. Um, Louis had these big pane glass windows and right out front, you could see LL's white Bentley. Mm. And I had, you know, he's a big dude. He's like my size. He's like 6'3", 6'4", 260. Everywhere there's fat and ugly on me, there's muscle and handsome on him. <laughs> he's, he's a big, good looking dude. And so everyone, you know, he's leaving. Everyone's starstruck. He sits out in his car out front for like 25 minutes. And we're like, what the hell is he doing? He was, he's, he's bobbing his head. Next thing you know, the phone rings and that my friend Dave, Dave Holiday, same guy that gave him the CD, which I still didn't know, picks up the phone, Louis Van Hassett, and he goes, that's him right there. And he's pointing across the restaurant at me. He goes, the big guy right there, that's him. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, my life up to that point, that's, I'm running out the back door. <laughs> that's not a good sign. But it turned out LL had listened to the demo in his car, called the restaurant from outside the from in the Bentley, like we could see him on the phone and ask, he's like, which one of these guys did that? And it was, that's what Dave was saying. It was him right there. So cut to, I think it was about two weeks later on April 22nd, 2008. He signed, he, he was still with Def Jam for his last album. So he signed me to his, he had an imprint, which was called Platinum Harvest. And he signed me, he signed me originally as a producer and he said the band was called 13. It was BD and myself. I, I played all the instruments and BD sang. So he signed us as a band with the intention of developing us as artists and also having me produce Re really what they call me as a producer. But that term is sort of, sort of very vague these days, you know, so, but, um, so you were, okay. So you, you, so yeah, so he, so LL then put us, into into Wyclef John's studio, which was just like an amazing turn of events because we were recording the music that was influenced a month before BD kept his promise. We got a deal in a month. He signed us. Uh, and the, I, the only hip hop I'd ever heard was Fuji's and that's Wyclef. And we're sitting there recording the re-recording the songs we did in the basement at Wyclef studio with Wyclef sitting next to me. You know, it's, it's like surreal. And it got to, you know, I became, I, I have some of the, I always say some of the best insight I've, I got on life and the business and just, man, what a interesting, deep, smart, talented, really smart guy. Wyclef Jean is, yeah, he speaks seven languages because he has to better me, but that he's a, a brilliant classical pianist. He sings, raps, guitar, I mean, ran for president of Haiti. Anyway, long story short, came time where we were wrapping the album we needed to we he was going to he was going to shop us to the next level and we were getting a ton of a ton of interest from columbia from def jam yeah everybody wanted because it was not only backed by ll but it was a really man it was good stuff and uh so we needed a band because i played everything <laughs> and bd sang so we got and it was going so great we auditioned we found dj crossfader who was Estelle's old DJ, who's maybe one of the greatest guys I've ever met. I'm still friends with him to this day. Amazing DJ. Brady Watt, who actually, I, I, I hooked up with DJ Premier, which comes later down the road. And he's 
I, I know I keep saying this, but he's probably the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life. Brady, he went to Berkeley. He's, he looks kind of like a shrunken Conan O'Brien. He's going to kill me. But he's uh, he's one brilliant bass player. And the drummer, I can't remember. It was a girl drummer. I can't remember her name exactly. She was not nothing special. But it instantly they came in and wanted uh, publishing, which is, you know, basically for your listeners who might or might not know, you know, when, when you write a song, there's two sides of it. There's the album sales, you know, the band can share that, whatever your record deal, however that's structured. But the intellectual property is the intellectual property, generally. In some fields like hip hop, there's a million writers. But, you know, I sat down alone in a basement, played all the drums, the bass, guitar, piano, and BD wrote the lyrics and sang the words. And then six months after that, people are going to come in and say they want an equal share of the writing credit. So it just ate us from the inside out. That project was called 13, which is how I got Mike 13, because everyone stored me in their phone as Mike from 13. And uh, it ate us apart. And the, the band eventually fell apart. People left the label. LL actually, because he's the hardest working guy, he got just he just at that time landed uh, NCIS Los Angeles, which he's still on and is doing amazing. And you know, this is a guy who won a Grammy in 94. He was a big star already. I mean, he skyrocketed. He's astronaut. So he's, he's household so, name now. So, so Mike, so basically, um, LL signed you as a producer and also as a band. Mm-hmm. The I remember you mentioned before that the the album never really came out because no, I have the stuff right, but 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 because it kind of fell apart because arguments over bullcrap like publishing and stuff like that right egos the egos yeah and might have i might have slept with the female drummer <laughs> okay so for three for, for, for three years but but you know what i mean but still i mean i'm sure when ll signed you i mean how old were you at then? How old? Gosh, man. Well, let's see. I'm 19 now. So okay. So you were <laughs> so you were five. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think I was I don't know. I was like 20, 20 something. 20. Okay. I think I, yeah. I think I remember saying no. You know what? I was 30 because I go. He goes, Mike. How old are you? I go 30. He goes 28. I was like, No, Al, I'm 30. He goes 28. <laughs> I was like, I'm 30. He goes, You're 28. I was like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that's that's so, not un- that's not uncommon for. No, um, that's it's not uncommon. Goes, yeah. BD, I love BD to death. My writing partner, he's he came up different than me. I came up. I mean, this guy's got great heart, writing chemistry. Like I, I, I have so much remorse for the fact that like that we don't write together anymore he's just not interested in the business anymore and i i get it man but but we just have such good chemistry mike so so the album never came out before so the album never came out but but what you did is you ended up working with other rappers well i i and well i stayed on with ll which as and i was composing then for his show you know he had he would have me doing music for NCIS LA, you know, producing, you know, make more, he had me working when he could, but he's big, busy. He just got landed a starring role. So what we did, we went out and I played a stadium, uh, Petco Park where the Padres play. I got, that was my first stadium ever, I ever played. So that he brought me out and I played that with him and 
it was amazing. Some backstage, it was a C, it was a CBS award show of some sort. And uh, backstage, I met Paulie Perrette from who plays the lab girl, played the lab girl, Abby on NCIS, the hot goth chick with the pigtails in the lab. Like I said last time, like, cause that's what every scientist looks like. And uh, I, I, and, I, I miss the goth scene. Yeah, I like goth girls are hot, man. She, and she was very, I mean, she was that person, that character, warm, sweet. So, so she actually, <laughs> to paraphrase it, she, we hung out at the we exchanged numbers on the spot, hit it off right away. Uh, she's a musician, also very talented. Uh, long story short, she sent me a shitload of money. She moved me out to LA to produce her album. And we hung out and just became very, very close for about eight months but to a year. Yeah, we really got close and we we never got through the album, but uh, it, it became a sort of a, I think it was like a battle between, weird battle between the NCISs because she was on the regular over me, I guess a little bit. And it just got, to, I think it just got to the point where, you know, it was doing so well they were still dealing with the other band members and their contract. We were just such a headache for him. It was, we all just left. So, so amicably, because I, like I said, I have nothing but respect for Al Cool J. He's, he's an, he's a man amongst men, but. So, uh, and I you mentioned, ways. and you mentioned that you, you next kind of ran into DJ premier. Yeah. Well, that's the, yeah, through the same diner. Met a guy named David Lotwin who uh, was this a pop? Was this a popular diner, by the way? It seems like you met it, everyone. It's in sixteen this tables in the, in. It's called Louis Manhasset. It's been there since nineteen sixty three. Louis Manhasset Restaurant. It's the best diner. It's this really. You know, it's where I'm from. Like it's where we all grew up, grew up. It's this really tiny. The only, I don't know, peach pit from nine hundred two one zero of a very very wealthy town where all the bosses come home to. And then that's where you go to eat. You go get a burger at Louis, you get a steak. And the food was actually exceptional. <laughs> the the you know, Greek guys, but so wow. yeah. The, the, okay, I can tell so you they must, they must make a, a really podcast. good hamburger. They must make a really good hamburger there. Just, yeah, plus it was the spot. So <laughs> I saw, so, you know, it was just a spot to go. It was like the, okay. you got off the, tr the train from the city was from Manhattan's right there. So you got off and it was literally next to the train station. So all these- So, you, so you met DJ Premier there? No, I met uh, Dave Lotwin there. He owned the studio. He's like, all right, I'm going to take you in. I want you to meet uh, DJ Premier. And I have my, okay, I had no idea who that was. Never listened to hip hop. Like I said, I had LL and Wyclef. I had met at that point, <laughs> you know, and I didn't know that DJ Premier was, depending on who you ask, one of the two. He, he's never below two. He's either number one or number two of the best and biggest hip hop producers of all time, most influential genius. And I, did, I just didn't know who he was. I thought I was the cool guy. So I got, we're walking into studio, we walk into the studio, which is like where Nas did Elmatic and Jay-Z did the blueprint, Biggie did life, you know, Premier produced all that stuff and they recorded it in that place. It was historic and it became an apartment building, which is tragic. But uh, I walk in and Dave's like, Dave's like, yeah, this is Mike 13. And I, so just to paint the picture, about a 45 year old stocky black dude, uh, white t-shirt that's huge and just a huge black dj premiere on the front <laughs> i walk up to him I, I pat him on the shoulder i go i didn't catch your name pal <laughs> like just like that didn't, was, he goes me because i'm premiere i'm in, in premiere studio 
So I guess he liked that because I did, I wasn't on his dick. Uh, yeah, I wasn't starstruck. I was I, I he got a kick out of me because I was like shockingly Caucasian. But <laughs> I don't know. But we we hit it off also, and that began really what a couple of different things it began my working with some of the biggest artists on the planet and and actually developing relationships with them and it began hip what i what i call hip-hop school i mean really hip-hop school not just in the sense of learning about the art but learning about i mean really learning about the cultural significance that it had learn coming coming from a musician's background like a dream theater fan you know very very nerdy you know music theory guy i was always like what you know where's the musical talent in that there's so much music talent that goes into what what premiere does and what hip-hop involves in general and the, the attachment to the community and what it really means to it's it's special and premiere's era the 90s that boom bap stuff really was uh brought it to the forefront it was like the, that early you know, early Jay-Z, Bob, all that stuff. So at that, I mean, you know me, Kanye, DJ Khaled, Nas, Joe Budden, uh, Scarface, Chris Brown, you know, doing shots with Skrillex, you name it. I got to go on tour playing live with Joe Budden, which was cool. Uh, Nas, uh, playing in the studio. There's actually a funny picture on my Instagram with DJ Khaled when we did uh, uh, Kiss the Ring. I played on that, and I also engineered uh, Premier Scratches. But that leads me to a, a great story about, may I? I'm rambling. Am I supposed to ramble? Yeah, sure, ramble. I, I just I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to touch <laughs> I, I, on. Listen, I'm, follow, I'm following the story. I mean. All right, because I can it, ramble. It, well, no it, no, it just seems like, I mean, no, I like, no. I, I mean, it basically seems like to me that LL Cool J really opened a lot of doors for you or, or your, your beginning work with him. And First from Neil, there, then LL. Okay. And right. So no, 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 that, that, that's amazing. L let me ask you this, Mike. So you're, you're, I mean, you're most, you're known for your crazy guitar playing. Yeah. Guitar. Get what what happens? I, I get a. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I cut off your? Did I? No. I mean, I you're, but you, you're, I, you're, you're, you're a shredder. I, well, you're that's what, that's what people say. I, I, you know, it's funny because I get. Thank you. That's a that's a compliment. But I don't know why my my friends say that and they they mean it. Like you know, I, the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dream Theater. Like I was yeah. I was list you know covering like learning. That's what I learned. Like when people were learning Back in Black. I had images and words just by luck. So I was learning that stuff at like 11 years old. So, you know, it, it's kind of all gets easier from dream theater. <laughs> like who's your favorite but, guitar player? Oh my God. Give me three. Oh, I can give you three. Um, John Petrucci. I, John, for, for certain reasons. Okay. See, oh God, man. Give me so two hard. more. Well, as far as just the rock stardom and the and what he contributes to the rock and roll to, to a band, maybe not it's so much in the playing. I mean, you can never get cooler or better or more badass 
or have produced better music or have made better music than Slash. Slash is a fucking and you know he's a he's a blues guy. He's a Joe Perry type guy. He's not, you know, he's not going to stand in the eye and trade licks. It's a different kind of thing with Slash. Slash right. is rock and roll, but you know, I love Steve I. He's a fellow Long Islander, as our Dream Theater, but they're not going to, you know, they're not going to write Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> it's not. It's, uh, I um. I mean, God, Guthrie Govins. So, so when, when you, so to get to that playing, like, so, so when did you, did you like practice? I mean, you, I'm sure when you uh, picked up the guitar, it was fairly young, but um, so did you, did, I mean, did it require a lot of practice or were you one of those people that kind of just, you picked up the instrument and you're like, you felt at home with it. Of course you practiced, but it just kind of, you, you just, you, you just went with it. It was, it, yeah, it was, it was it, obviously you have to, I mean, I've, I play guitar is definitely my, my top, but like piano, I grew up with a piano in the house. So that was actually, maybe I was even tinkering with that before, but I can tell you how I just, how I, what made me want to do it. So Mike, can, <laughs> you, can you play me like a crazy riff? Like, I don't know, maybe you can make it sound like plugged if, into anything, but I can, yeah. I, I can. Try, yeah. Well, I, yeah, maybe like the mic will pick something up. If not, we'll just, I'll let you know if, if, if it doesn't sound right, we'll just knock it off. Give me one. I'm not wired up through. I'm not plugged And also, too, what I'm going to do is I'm also going to show uh, Mike here just. He just um, gave me a, a 15 second. Um, new introduction for the podcast and the interviews oh, yeah. and it sounds pretty amazing that's like custom made to your to your fine tastes so the, so you played live so obviously the drums on that that introduction those are all the rest is samples right no i no i what there's nothing i played everything on that really uh, yeah, I play every I play every instrument. That's what that's what that's what I was getting at when I was saying everyone when people call me a shredder, I almost get offended, but I, it's it's a compliment. Uh, no, I have I have a it's a, a V drum set, but I trigger Steven triggers sounds MIDI sounds. It's a drum set, but it's wow. Like a, then I play the bass. Usually, what I do is I get my drums, then I uh, I'll do I'll do a scratch guitar track. Like I I got the riff for your thing first just to get the idea and then up to a click. And then I played the drums and then I went back and recorded the rhythms and then I'll go put bass. Cause I find it easier to just squeeze bass. So, in. so, so you and played, then, so you played all of that instrument. live. Oh wow. yeah. I have, okay, I I, I'm going to, so, so let, let, let me, let me explain this. So I asked Mike if he I'll could, in the meantime, I, I asked Mike if, he could actually write me a, a 15, 20 second intro for the podcast and interviews. And he goes, what kind of music do you like? And I'm just like, I want something with big guitars, drums, something anthemic. I mean, you know, like, like an opening up of a, of a football game, something like that. So this is what he came up with. And I mean, just 
I had no idea, by the way, it's the first time I'm learning this, that he played everything live. Wow. He's like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, done, final, sold. He's like, I'll send you the stems. That's kind of what I, you know, I do that to, uh, I, I'm, I'm a tough, I do uh, custom intros for people's shows. Podcasts. Okay, we can barely hear you on here, Mike. Oh, you're, yeah, you're... I'm sorry, I had to put the microphone there you down. Go. Um, yeah. yeah, I do custom intros to uh, basically for podcasts. I'll, I'll work to any budget. Uh, TV shows, medium, uh, uh, YouTube channels, regular TV. I can, you know, it's usually that took about an hour. Uh, wow. Yeah, I can. I mean, I, I have. I could probably pull up the session and then play you each individual thing behind uh, behind me. That would be uh, great. Yeah. yeah, let's let's hear uh, let's yeah. hear some crazy. Let's. By uh, the way, some, if, some, I'm, sure. I'm an SM57, so this will. This is actually sure. a good mic for this. Sure.
track my drums. Uh, I trigger samples using playing V drums. Then I do the bass. I have a Fender jazz bass over there. Then I, whatever the variation of instruments are, if it's more of a Southern rock, that was what I was going to say about what the shredding thing is. I, I cover like all genres I, from country to, to flamenco. I compose classical pieces for movies, you know, things like that. It's, 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 it's not just, if I had my choice, I would, uh, I would play for Ozzy, <laughs> you know, but Zach Wilde already did it as good as it's going to get done and Randy before him. So who's that, uh, new, who's that new session, that new session guitar player. That's kind of getting a lot of um, rave. He's played with Eddie Vedder. I think he's played with Justin Bieber. He's uh, a session guy or he's I, I a, think he's, I think he's a session guy. Or is he, I'm not sure about the number one uh, session guy. His name was I'm Aaron, not really a, I'm a producer. I'm more so. So I, I go in and play, I'll play pianos. I'll, they bring me in more to like write. Yeah, he's a guitar play. player. I think his name is Mateus Asado. Oh, Andrew. There's a, there's a lot. There's, it's right now, it's the golden age of uh, guitar again. I know the, when I think any session player, I think Tim Pierce right off the bat. Tim Pierce plays on everything. Uh, he actually, well, well, he, I think he worked with Ozzy Osbourne on his last record. It was him. It was gu- um, guitar. Yeah. Guitar player. Gus G. Gus G was uh, yeah. on Ozzy. No, he played, he, 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 he wrote, he produced, he, he like literally, you know, got the whole band to play on Ozzy's last record. What? Really? Cause I know Zach, I'm, I'm going to actually look that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he uh, kind of like. He he played guitar on it. Yeah, he played guitar on it. Because I know Zach Wild, and now he has Gus G doing it. No, look at look at Ozzy Osbourne's last record. Okay, last album. Oh, here it is, Andrew Watt. Oh, I didn't even know that. And I freak. Yeah. Oh no, he's a producer. He was the producer. Okay, but but he also played. But he also played guitar as well. Did he? Yeah, he's a guitar, vocals, bass, guitar, keyboards, drums, percussion. Oh, he play- <laughs> He did what I do. He- yeah. Wait a second. Andrew Watt. Oh no, this was like a. <laughs> this was that was on a song. Okay, what this? This was a like a slash. Okay, see what this was. This was like what Slash's first album was, where he brought in a bunch of different artists for every song, like Duff Duff. And Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers, Duff McKagan from Guns played on another song, Slash played on one song. Right. So so that was his, for that song, uh, Andrew Watt did, yeah, he did vocals, guitars, vocals, you're with Ozzy. When you, vocals, guitars, yeah, so he did kind of like, this says programming, which leads me to believe that it was not a real drum set. Uh, yeah, this he produced it. Yeah. That, so this was like, a, this was a, uh, cause I know that uh, when in his band, you never know where Ozzy is like as a, if he's, you know, cause I, Zach yeah, but, but if you, if you look at, if you look at Ozzy Osbourne's discography and if you actually oh, look at God. his, his record, he's on every song, Andrew. Yeah. Watt. He produced the album. He, produ- yeah. he produced the album. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, cause look down on the wiki. You'll see slash. Yeah, this was like what what Slash did, where Slash wrote a bunch of songs and brought in all the all those different singers for before he found Miles Kennedy, who's like the best singer going right now. I mean, uh, I personally I, again, I'm talking out my ass, but I don't see, I, you know, if you have Slash on there, 
Yeah, he probably he probably produced the album because I've Ozzy's not producing. No, he's he's he's, he's I actually saw him uh, at that rock and rock. This was God, this was a couple of years ago at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame backstage at the Garden. And I'm a fan. I've got Zach tattooed on my arm. I'm a, and everyone, I mean, everyone was back there and I had no problem going up and, you know, taking a picture with Tom Hanks to my Instagram was so cool before COVID, but uh, Ozzy, who of all the people, and Mick Jagger was there, Metallica was there. Ozzy was like the one guy, and he had he had this guy with him, like a younger guy, and Ozzy was just shuffling, man. And I was like, oh Jesus Christ, that was it was very sad. It, I mean, this was years, a couple of years ago, so I guess he's all right. But put it this way, I didn't feel comfortable going up and saying something. And when, when you're backstage or something like like that. It was you're allowed to not that I it was my friend at the time was being uh, auditioned to play drums for Jeff Beck. So Jeff Beck brought us back there. So I was I was kind of the hanger on at that. It was that rock and roll Hall of Fame 25th anniversary show. And I mean, it was a who's who back there. But I was like, man, Ozzy, I'll never get a chance. And I couldn't do it. He really it looked like if the guy let him go, he would have just shuffled into the fucking wall like Grand Theft Auto style. <laughs> but um yeah that's so basically i i yeah i do uh, i would say the majority of what my work is is more like that more like uh well a lot of replaying samples now but uh a lot i get a lot of calls for we need like a, a minute and 15 seconds of like a lady antebellum sounding country thing, or we need 45 seconds of something in the style of Chopin, you know, not that I'm composing like Chopin, but you know, just something that, uh, now can you play I'm one stop shopping? Basically. Now can, can, can you play any genre, any genre? Well, not, I gotta be careful with that because, uh, jazz is a tricky one. I can, I can, no, I cannot play jazz. I'll just say that. I'm not because my friend Jay is going to watch this from I'm, I'm playing with uh, this band Moonshine who was fucking awesome band when I was growing up and I'm toying, we're toying around with me joining as like a full time member and my Jay if he ever heard me say I could play jazz 